This morning we start in a brand new series and we start walking through uh, Romans chapter 12. It's my second favorite chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 8 is my favorite where it talks about the freedom that we have in Christ and, and that we're forgiven and who we are in Christ. And then my second favorite is Romans chapter 12 because it talks to us about how we should walk or how we should live in Christ. Whitney Houston many years back sang a, a song entitled The Greatest Love of All. And in her lyrics, she made a statement, and she says, the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. Now, that's the message that the secular community sends us. It talks about this issue of self-image or self-love. Uh, we're saturated in our culture with this issue about, uh, about how to love yourself, how to have proper self-esteem. The fact is, we can find books and tapes... Fact is, you can go to Amazon.com or you can go to Barnes and Noble and go to the self-help section, and there are book after book after book of teaching you and trying to help you learn how to love yourself, how to accept, how how to find acceptance. There's tapes and seminars about how to feel good about yourself, how to build self-esteem in your children, how to be confident in business, how to be confident in life and Christian leaders have even gotten caught up in this, right? And, and so now we have Christian leaders with prosperity gospel and writing books that the champion was in you and being the best you could be. And in fact, is Dobson wrote this. He said this. He says, if I could write a prescription for women of the world, it would be to provide each one of them with a healthy dose of self-acceptance. I have no doubt that this is their greatest need. Now listen, it's easy for us to understand in the society in which we live that why there's this focus on self-image or self-love or self-acceptance because so many people in our culture and in our time feel so inadequate and feel so insecure. And the media feeds into this, right? Because they expose us with people with perfect bodies and perfect faces and great personalities, great looks, great bank accounts. And if we're not careful that we watch all that and we get that as an image and and then, boy, we feel pretty inadequate or we feel inferior. Counselors will tell you. They meet with people all the time in our culture, in our time. People who don't feel good about themselves. People who feel pretty inadequate or, or insecure. Feeling like nobody will ever love me, nobody will ever want me. So you look at this issue of self-love, self-image, and when you go to Scripture, you find there's not a lot written about it. In fact, it's like Scripture almost assumes that when you accept Christ and you come in a relationship with Him and you understand what He's forgiven you of, and you understand what He's promised you and given you, that it's just natural. That you have a correct view of self or self-image. You see, when I read through Scripture, I don't find a lot in Scripture about loving yourself. Now, I know there's one verse that a lot of us take out of context that says when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, and sometimes we talk about that, about self-love, but I don't find a lot in Scripture about self-love. Fact is, what I find a lot in Scripture is just the opposite. Dying to self. Denying self. Surrender, as we just sang sacrifice, but not much about the exalting of self. Now, 
Some Christians will go to the other extreme, extreme and say, we just exalt, exalt Christ and so we just kind of ignore our bodies and we just kind of ignore ourselves. And what I believe is we need balance. That God wants us to feel good about ourselves, but he wants us to feel good about, about ourselves on his terms and not ours. I mean, remember when, when God came to Moses, the burning bush experience, and told Moses that I want you to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, and Moses went through his laundry list of excuses that I can't speak, I'm not a good public speaker, I'm not a, I feel inadequate, I feel secure, insecure, find somebody else. Remember that? Well, God didn't get angry at Moses because his feelings of insecurity, inferiority. God got angry at Moses because of his lack of trust and his lack of faith in, in God. See, the danger is if we feel good about ourselves in a sinful condition, then the Bible would say that we were lost and will perish. If we feel inadequate when Christ has forgiven us and died for us, even when we're empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we are fearful and faithless. And so we need a balance. We need to be humble but confident. Verse 3, Romans chapter 12, here's what the scripture says. For the grace given me, Paul's writing, I say to every one of you, here's his words, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with what? With sober judgment. In accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. In other words, what Paul has said, God wants you to think accurately about yourself. Not to overstate our worth, in other words, and be arrogant. And not to underestimate our value and be insecure. In other words, to be able to see our life and ourself from God's perspective and what he's done for us. So today we're only going to look at a couple of verses in Romans as we look at this very important subject as we kind of set the tone for the coming weeks as we walk through this, this wonderful chapter. So here's what he says, verse 1, Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you. In the Greek that means I plead with you. I implore you. I beg with you. I mean, this is as strong as Paul is saying, Christians, get this, understand this. I am begging you to understand this because there's a lot of stuff that is at stake for you to be able to understand this as a believer. And he goes, brothers, so understand he's talking to believers. He's not talking to lost people. He's not talking to unchurched people. He is specifically speaking to, to believers. Brothers, in view of God's mercy, that, that phrase is key. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The first step of feeling good about yourself, the first step of, of a healthy self-image, self-view, is this issue of surrender, what Paul says, to God. He goes on, verse 2, he says, do not conform. In the Greek, that means stop conforming. That's how it's really written, just stop conforming. It's an imperative. In other words, they, Christians were already, they were already conforming to the world in his day. He's like, stop conforming. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then, conditional promise. You surrender to him, then 
you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. That's the reason so many people have trouble with God's will in their life and trying to figure it out is because they haven't come to the first step of just true surrender. He said, you surrender to Him, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Now listen, the first step of a healthy biblical self-image is this issue of surrender, offering your body to Him. See, in our consumer-minded culture, we resist the idea of sacrifice in any area. We really and truly don't, don't like the issue of sacrifice. I mean, in our consumer-minded culture, we think the way to feel good about ourselves is to re receive something, right? It's either to receive something, it's either to take advantage of someone, it's either to find a bargain somewhere or a bonus of some sort. And I mean, in our consumer-minded culture, we even think that preachers should not talk about sacrifice. That preachers should not talk about money and the giving of time and the giving of resources. That really and truly Christianity is consumer driven to where it's really, what can the church do for me? What can the church offer me? Instead of coming and saying, what can I offer the church? What can I offer him? Totally different mindset. You see, consumer minded mindset is this, is this. That always receive something to get something. But biblical instruction is the opposite. First we give to receive. See, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. First, it's a voluntary commitment. I mean, that's what that word offer means. It, it means that we just, it, it's a voluntary commitment. The word offer is in the Greek is where we get our English word reservation. It's, it's to reserve a table for you. If, if you have a, a date night or you have a, an anniversary or whatever and you call an expensive restaurant and you, you make a reservation, then that restaurant will take, when you make that phone call and tell them what time you're going to be there, then they will take and they will reserve a table for you. They reserve a table for your benefit. Nobody else can use that table. Nobody else can sit at that table. That table is reserved, set aside for your benefit. And that's what it means to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, to reserve your life for God, to set your life aside for Him, that there's surrender and there's sacrifice and there's commitment to where you say, everything that I am, my will, my life, everything that you have given me, Lord, is set aside for you and it, and it belongs to you. It's not only voluntary, it's practical. You ever thought why God would want your body? Because if he has your body, he has you. He has your mind, he has your will, he has your emotions. You ever, you ever had someone where you've asked them to volunteer for something, they've asked you to, to help you do something, and they tell you, brother, I can't be there, but I'll be there in spirit. I'll pray for you. That's absolutely worthless. Right? It's a nice gesture. If God has your body, and He has you, your mind, your will, your emotions, your spirit, I mean, it means that you're giving your whole life to Him. It's also complete. Sacrifices, total. Sacrifice is unconditional dedication to Him. 
And so Paul starts out and says, we truly surrender self as a sacrifice to God. I mean, Old Testament, dead sacrifices. New Testament, living sacrifices, right? I mean, a dead sacrifice is so much easier than a living sacrifice, right? It's a one-time deal. Here's the deal. If you're like me, the problem with a living sacrifice is this. You can place yourself on the altar at 8 o'clock in the morning and crawl off by noon. That's the problem with a living sacrifice. You can make a commitment and things can get too tough. Things can get too difficult. He can ask too much or whatever. And if you're not careful, the problem with a living sacrifice is this. Boy, you'll crawl off. See, you got to understand what he was saying, in view of God's mercy. Remember that phrase? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know what he's saying? In view of what God has done for you. You understand why a lot of people don't sacrifice for him, why a lot of people can't give out of their resources, why a lot of people can't serve him. You understand why that is? Because they don't understand what God has done for them. He says, in view of God's mercies, in view of what God has done for you, forgiven you of your sins. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus offered his body to us. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't done. And we need, when we needed to be forgiven of sin so that we can have eternal life, Jesus offered his body as a living sacrifice. He was kicked. He was beaten. He was spat on. Insulted. Whipped. Cut. Bruised. Crucified. And ultimately they killed him. Isaiah would say this, that he was like a sheep led to the slaughter. And Paul is saying, in view of Jesus' sacrifice, in view of what he's done for us, it's logical, it's reasonable that we'd sacrifice for him. That we would offer our bodies back for him. See, a living sacrifice is a daily thing. No. If you're like me, there's times it's minute by minute. This issue of surrender doesn't come easy for any of us. Doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or who. And we offer our bodies to God because you ever notice this? When you conquer the body, you kind of feel good about yourself. You ever been around someone that lost some weight? And they lose five pounds, ten pounds, whatever. They want everybody to notice. Ever notice that? I mean, they walk different, they act different, and they want someone to notice. So someone says, hey, did you lose some weight? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. And so then they like to talk about what they sacrificed, right? I gave up whatever food they gave up, whatever meals they gave up, whatever dessert they gave up. They're wanting to tell you how many weights they've lifted, how often they lifted weights, how far they've run, how far they've walked, their exercise program, what they've done. I mean, there's something about it. When someone conquers their body, you immediately feel better about yourself. And the same is true spiritually. In view of God's mercy, in view of what God has done for you, because of Him, because of His sacrifice, our sins are forgiven. We have, man, eternal life. That's nothing I can do on my own. And then he goes even deeper and he says, but it has to be a mind that is 
transformed by God. Verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but by the transform, but, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So that word conform is where we get the English word um, scheme or schizo. It was a word in the Greek that was used for a play actor, a guy that would, would play several different roles. In other words, he'd play one role, wear a mask, go off stage, come back. Same person, but wearing a different mask. In other words, that it was the same person, but he'd play many different roles. And Paul is saying when we conform to the world and we're believers, then we're not being genuine. We're not being real. We're just playing games. The fact is, Paul would say that it's out of character for a believer to live their life the same way the world does, in the same pattern. And he says that there's a renewing of your mind, which means, well, when we read Scripture, it transforms our mind. And if you're not life journaling, you don't have to use our system. You can use any system. But if you're not reading God's Word, there's not a transformation of the mind. You're not understanding what God has asked you to do or who He is in your life. See, the world will tell you this. The world will tell you there's basically that I can tell four different ways that you can feel good about yourself or better. First one, be attractive. First one, it's, it's in your looks. It's, it's how attractive you are, how nice you look. We know that's not true, right? I mean, we read stories all the time of Hollywood actors and actresses that have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on plastic surgery. They're still insecure. They still hate their bodies. They still don't believe they're attractive. The world will say it's not only being attractive, but it's possessions. If you gain enough possessions, then you'll be happy and it'll bring you fulfillment. But again, we read about people that have a lot of possessions. They still don't feel good about themselves. The world will tell you, well, it's also power. You gain enough power in your life. I mean, if you, if you gain enough power in your life, you'll feel acceptable. You'll feel good about yourself. But we know that's not true. Because even with that, there's always a desire for wanting more. And then some will tell you, well, just learn to be yourself. Don't care what people think. Just get to the point to where you, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm just going to be myself. If it feels good, do it. And, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to, well, I'm just going to be myself. But there are people that have accomplished all four of those things. They still don't feel good about themselves. They still don't feel adequate. And that's why Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't let the world mold you. Don't let the world squeeze you in. Don't let the world shape you, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind from reading God's Word and applying it to your life. See, the Christian life never begins with emotion. You just got to understand this. It, be it begins with right thinking. That's what repent means. Repent means this change of mind that leads to change of action. It's all it means. It never starts with emotion. It always starts with right thinking. In other words, change your mind about what you believe about Jesus Christ, His deity and who He is, that He went to the cross, He was without sin, He died for you for the forgiveness of your sin. Change your mind about what you think about the Bible. 
that it's an inerrant Word of God, and by reading it, it transforms your mind. It's His Word. It's how He communicates to us. Change your mind about sin. And live in purity. There are so many people that don't understand, and then they compromise, and they wonder why God isn't blessing their, their life. See, change of mind, repent, is just this. Change of mind that leads to change of action to where you start walking a different way. And man, understand this. Just from a biblical perspective, God doesn't want to improve your self-image. He wants something better for you. He wants to transform you. By the renewing of your mind. Listen, let me, let me just be really honest for a second. Not that I haven't been. <laughs> How about brutally honest? That'd be a better word, okay? If your self-image, if your acceptance is in your appearance, you're in trouble. Because the older you look, the worse we look. The older we get, the worse we look. In fact, is everything on the list is temporary and it's fleeting. Boy, if you believe self-image is found in power, it'll never be enough. You may get a rush out of a promotion, a raise, a bonus, house sold, deal cut, whatever. But it's temporary. It's temporary. Paul writes this about his life in Philippians 3, 3 through 8. For it is we who are the circumcised, talking about believers, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. He used to do that. Before he was a believer, he put his confidence in his resume. He put his confidence in his flesh. And he says, though I myself have reason for, for such confidence, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, he says, my resume, more impressive than anybody around. My resume, my accomplishments, what I've done, no one else can stand up to it. If anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day the, of the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But, ever, but whatever was my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. He's talking about his resume. Talking about his accomplishments. Rubbish in the Greek is dung, manure. Waste that I may gain Christ. If your view of self is wrapped up in what the world thinks of the pattern of the world, it'll never be enough. Alexander the Great, when he conquered the world and he finished, conquered his last battle, it is said that his men witnessed him weeping and they thought it was out of excitement for his latest accomplishment. And he looked at his men and he says, I'm not weeping for that. I'm weeping because there are no more battles to be conquered. There are no more worlds to be conquered. It's never enough. 
And I probably don't need to remind you, but everything this world has to offer is a mirage. It never delivers what is promised. And when we grab it, it's fleeting and it disappears. And I have seen men, I have seen men leave their wives, their families, their children, their career because they wanted to go find themselves. They never come back like three weeks later and say, found myself in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> or man, found myself in the mountains. What was I doing there? <laughs> you know the stories I get? I left everything to try to find myself, and three years later, I've made a mess and a wreck of my life. That's never enough, and that's why Paul's imploring them and encouraging them. Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. Boy, you focus on internal values. In other words, it's a mind that's being transformed. It's a will that is responsive. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. Most people, most people think if I submit to God's will, if I surrender to Him, if I do His will, it's going to be bad. I'll never laugh again. I'll never have any fun again. It'll be horrible. I'll have to give away all my money. I'll have to give away all my stuff. And before long, I'm, I'm a missionary in Africa or wherever in, in a little hut, and I'm starving, and I'm barely making it. Can I tell you that's the pattern of the world? See how easy it is to get seduced into that? Even as believers, that we can come to the point and we can believe that, you know what, if I surrender to God, if I do, to, do His will, it's going to be horrible. And that's why Paul says, don't get seduced by the world. The world standard is fleeting. The world standard is subjective, right? I mean, they can accept you one day, reject you the next, right? But you understand that, right? You understand that the way that they make judgments is, is superficial and subjective? Listen, I follow football, and, and, and I love football, and I love the stuff behind football. And How about the story of Michael Vick? And listen, just hear me. I'm not saying what he did wasn't bad. Torture of animals should never happen. But all the protest that's going on because he's coming back to the NFL... And we've got football players drunk, killed people, took lives. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> my, my favorite Michael Vick poster when he was coming back was, Vick's an eagle, hide your beagles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That was non-spiritual, I know. But I think it's hilarious. But we've gotten to the point, world standards, where people can take lives. And that's nothing compared to someone that harms an animal. 
That's why Paul said, don't, don't conform and don't get caught up in this pattern of this world. That it's a will that is, that is good and is pleasing. It pleases God and it pleases you. His will is good. It means it is high quality. It says in the creek that it's pleasing and acceptable. And God isn't a Scrooge. I mean, can you imagine? How many of you as a dad or a mom, when your children turn to you and say, you know what? I love you so much. I understand you've worked hard for me. I understand you're providing for me. For, for, for here on out, mom, dad, I'm going to follow. I'm going to do everything you ask me to do. No griping, no complaining, no attitude, no, I know some of you, it, it, it can happen. <laughs> and I'm going to do everything that you've asked me to do. How many of you as parents says, good, I have been waiting for you to make that decision. You're grounded for six months. I'm taking everything away from you. I'm going to make your life miserable from this point on because you have surrendered to me. But we do that to God. See, the world says, you do God's will, you walk in purity in your life, you line your life up with the Bible, He'll make your life miserable. He'll hurt you. You'll pay. Paul said, it's the opposite. Here's what happens. When you surrender to Him and you walk in His will, you no longer have to live in comparisons of other people. You, you know why comparison is so dangerous in life? We compare someone else's strengths with our weaknesses. And it affects our self-image and it affects who we are. See, the way you feel about yourself, some tell us, many times is dependent upon the approval we get from important people around us. For instance, in business, if you work real hard and you get a promotion, you get a raise or you get an attaboy or whatever, you immediately kind of feel better about yourself. In medicine, if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, and you treat someone, and, and they write you a thank you note and say, tell you how, how much you've meant to them, you immediately feel better about ourself, yourself. Sports. You get the starting position. You win the game. You immediately feel better, but it's, it's fleeting. How about making God the most important person in your life? That's what surrender is all about. See, we are not made just to feel better about ourselves. We are made to feel gratitude in our souls for what He has done for us. Knowing that we're accepted by Him, that we're loved by Him, we're complete in Him, and we're accepted by Him. Therefore, I urge you 
brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Self-esteem doesn't come from focusing on self. It comes from surrendering yourself to God, completely belonging to Him.